2 Corinthians 6.18, And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Aren't you happy about that? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he becomes your heavenly father. Man, he loves you so much. And uh, if you've been struggling with the character of God, I don't know, sometimes when you have a... I was talking to a guy last week, and his parents divorced when he was young, and his dad was gone, and just navigating through life without a man around can be challenging. But we know that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, our our spiritual Father, our Heavenly Father, kicks in and makes up that difference. Getting to know Him is the difference maker. Because I was messed up. I had an image of God that was all messed up. When I got to know him, spend time with him, that's the difference maker. Reading his word, you find out the true character of God. So a memory of my dad, I remember on Sunday mornings, you've heard me say it many times, my dad was committed to being in church, which I appreciate the longer I'm alive, the example that he set. But he would be in the car out front, honking the horn when my sisters were late. My sisters were older than I am. I've got a, I've got a younger brother. So I'm blaming my sisters for, the, you know, and my mom would get really embarrassed. You know, the whole neighborhood, here's my dad honking the horn on a Sunday morning. You know, because he didn't want to be late for church, friends. It's cool. It's cool to be here for the singing and participate in that on Sunday mornings. My dad enjoyed that. And so we just want to encourage you the same way. You should have your notes, your outline nearby. You could pull it up online, uh, follow along. And um, I'm excited this morning to be able to open the Bible and teach from it because it is relevant for the days that we're living in. Back in 1904, William Borden graduated from high school in Chicago, and his graduation present given to him by his parents was a trip around the world. As the young man traveled around Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he started to sense a real burden for the world's hurting people. Borden wrote home to say, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. And at the same time, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. See, William Borden was an heir to the Borden Dairy estate. So you could say he was set for life. Indeed, Borden held nothing back when he went to college at Yale University. He became really a, a man of God at a young age in the Christian community. One entry in his personal journal defined the source of his spiritual strength that simply said, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. It's good advice. During his first semester at Yale, Borden started a small prayer group that would literally transform his campus. 
This group gave birth to a movement that spread across the campus, and by the end of his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting for weekly Bible study and prayer. By the time Bill Borden was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. Borden also strategized with his fellow believers to make sure that every student on the campus heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was a priority for him. But he also had a passion for missions. And that grew and grew, and he narrowed his missionary call to the Ganzo people in China. That's where he wanted to serve. That's where he started planning. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden wrote two more words in the back of his Bible, no retreats. And in keeping with his commitment, Borden turned down several high-paying job offers, instead enrolling in seminary. And after graduating from seminary, he immediately went to Egypt to learn Arabic because his intent to work with the Muslims in China required him to learn that language. Four months later, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. Prior to his death, Borden wrote two more words in his Bible underneath the words, no reserves, no retreats. He wrote, no regrets. You might be wondering, you know, I wonder if this dude's life was a waste, you know, 25 years old, had everything in front of him for his future, and dies in Egypt. But not from God's perspective, because God used William's life and death to call thousands of young men and women to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. William Borden finish strong. And this morning, we look at his example. You, me, everybody here watching online, that's the kind of story we want to emulate and follow after, man, holding nothing back. And uh, in your notes, it's time to decide. Time to decide. That's the title of today's talk. Also, no quitting me. I don't have, I'm not planning on quitting. Before we jump into the text, I'd just like to challenge the men. Um, Jack Brewer, who is a former NFL player, wrote this piece just a couple days ago. He says, America's crisis is a lack of fathers. He says, there's little doubt that America is experiencing an unprecedented fatherless crisis. It's devaluing masculinity and manhood. Manhood is under attack and being redefined. Manhood matters and masculinity makes a difference. We can no longer afford to ignore the debilitating impact of fatherless homes that have across our youth and on our country. We've got to recognize how we as fathers empower, teach, and develop our children it plays a direct role in their well-being, mental health, and ability to persevere through adversity. What's the deal? Well, 
He says 90% of all runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children with behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent chemical abuse patients in drug treatment centers are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison are from fatherless homes. And I think if we took a vote this morning, we would say that is true. Men, masculinity, have been under attack in this country for quite a while. Unfortunately, it's crept into the church. Where men have become passive in their spiritual journey, and in fact, it trickles down to the the spiritual growth of their own children. And we need to... I hope today, this Father's Day, we draw a line in the sand and say, as a man of God, I will not vacillate any longer. I'm going to step it up. I'm going to be that man that God wants him to be. So let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19. Starting at verse 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. And Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. And Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them, and he used the wood from the plow to burn, build a fire to roast their flesh. And he passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. And he went with Elijah as his assistant. Father, we thank you this morning. We've been challenged already, Lord. Maybe our imagery, our uh, knowledge of you has been distorted. And we're reminded that you are a good father. As we look at your word this morning, we think of this man, Elijah and Elisha. Lord, two men who had choices to make. Just like every man and young man in this room this morning, we we have a choice to make. And I pray that it would count for the rest of our lives by saying yes to you in every area of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. This was an ordinary day in Elisha's life, just like today is an ordinary day. It's an ordinary Sunday. It is Father's Day. I'm glad President Nixon endorsed the fact that we needed a Father's Day in America, aren't you? Thinking, what took so long? Huh? What took so long? We know that Elisha didn't go to a career fair or he contacted a life coach. You know, he was was frustrated with his job, following two oxen day after day, thinking he needed to step up in the world. Elisha had no thought of changing his career. He loved his job, it seemed. And 
All Elisha was doing was consistently plowing day after day. But here's the deal. God had been watching Elisha. God had his eye on Elisha. There was something in this man that God thought, you know what, I can use him. He's got the character. He's got the core. And so hundreds of miles away from that plow, God has been talking about Elisha behind his back to a man of God, Elijah. Pretty cool. God told Elijah that Elisha would be his successor. And uh, it is important that as Elisha is behind his plow, something was going on the inside of him. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. The question that you and I have to face, will I, will you follow Jesus Christ into greater things? And just like Elijah had gone to Elisha, giving him this invitation, we've got great God Almighty who is issuing the same invitation to each of us this morning. And so we want to say yes to that. Number one, God is calling, verse 15. Then the Lord told him, Elijah, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram, Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. You see, Elijah had been whining to God. He had earlier in in 1 Kings 17, and he had uh, gone after uh, the prophets of Baal. And... um, First uh, Kings 18, he says, um, it, it's kind of interesting here, verse 19, there's a little standoff here with the man of God, Elijah, talking to the king of Israel. Summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. Jezebel was the king's wife. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. And so in front of all these people, he challenges them and says, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Why? Because they were challenged. They were convicted. Verse 38, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. Anything that is competing against God in your life needs to be destroyed. It needs to be eliminated. It's quite a symbolic picture right here from 1 Kings 18. The people in Israel have been compromised spiritually. Their country was sinking 
deep into sin. And God sent this man, Elijah, to be that voice really in the wilderness to say, come on, stop playing games with God. Stop serving all these phony baloney gods. And let's get on with it. Because we have the one true God here with us. And we see this demonstrated in 1 Kings 18. And after that, Elijah literally ran for his life because Jezebel, the king's wife, threatened him. And he felt sorry for himself. So we see in verse 14, he said, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, he's talking to God, and killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What's Elijah doing? He's got his violin out. And he's feeling sorry for himself. He's having a pity party, and he says the same thing in verse 10. He's repeating himself. Woe is me, you know? I'm the only one left, and God has to straighten him out. Elijah's a wanted man, for sure. Ahab's after him for killing all those prophets of Baal. And God's basically saying, Elijah, what are you doing here, feeling sorry for yourself? And Elijah's saying, I'm just really enjoying this pity party I'm throwing for myself right now. He wanted to sign off. He wanted to resign from being this man of God. He wanted to call it quits. And it's possible you're here today. Maybe you've been running for your life symbolically. You know, Something's been running after you, and it's discouraged you and disappointed you. And you figure, man, I've been trying to do this thing the right way for so long. I'm just going to call it quits. It feels like I'm the only one trying to do the right thing out there. Well, God has a conversation with him, and this is where, in verses 15 and 16, what's he doing? He's reigniting the fire in this man, Elijah, saying, I'm not done with you, Elijah. I know you think you're a failure because you're, you're running away in fear from a woman. And he says, I'm not done. I've got, I've got things for you to do. And so... God sends Elijah to this man, Elisha. And we see that when God is in command, there's always hope. Elijah looked at things and it was dismal. It was dark. It looked hopeless. But God is breathing life back into him because he's saying, I'm not finished with you. And maybe you feel like I've messed up so bad for so long, God's finished with me. And God is here this morning to say to you, I have a plan for your life. I want to use you. We see in Acts 17, 27, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. That's the way it is. The message puts it this way. He doesn't play hide and seek with us. He is not remote. He's near. Because we will never go anywhere where God is not. God is everywhere. And God is calling, friend. He is calling you. He was calling Elisha. And he was talking to Elijah about the next step. And so we see in verse 19a, so Elijah went. He doesn't argue with God. He goes. 
Number two, it's decision time. Verse 19, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then walked away. Not something really glamorous the first time Elisha shows up in the Bible, right? I mean, he's simply plowing a field behind two oxen. Nothing real spiritual about that. (laughs) But it is a reminder that it's good to work. It is. Everything changed when Elijah showed up with Elisha that day. No one had to tell Elisha who Elijah was. Elijah had that reputation. His picture was on every post office. King Ahab made sure of that. that if you see this dude, call 911. We're going to arrest him. Because, man, he's messed with my dudes. So Elijah was a known man throughout Israel. We see that Elisha was born and raised in Israel known as Abel Mahola, which in the Hebrew word, it literally means meadow of dancing, meadow of dancing. And we can see, uh, uh, yeah, let's, let's look, let's check this out. So, so here to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, same thing down here. And we see that uh, Elijah's making his way up to Abel Mahola right here. Boom, right in the middle, the Sea of Galilee, and the Dead Sea. It's right in the middle, man. And it's a beautiful farming ground. Let's take a look at that farming ground. <laughs> man, if you're in Israel, man, this is, this is prime property. You know, if you're a farmer, that's the land you want to buy right there. So it was the breadbasket of the Jordan River Valley. And... Um, Elisha's family seemed to have it together financially because they had 12 teams of oxen. Most farmers in Israel on that day had one pair of oxen. Small farming, family farming projects. Elisha's family had 12 pairs of oxen, which leans toward the thought that they had some money. They were successful in what they were doing. And we notice here that, how how does Elijah approach Elisha, does he send him a text while he's out in the fields? Uh, We don't know, but we know that Elijah's not stopping for coffee. He didn't stop by quick trip on the way and bring two cups of coffee and say, hey, Elisha, let's sit down and talk about this. No, he didn't do that. Doesn't talk about the weather. That's what men like to do. They love to talk about the weather. Didn't talk about new plowing techniques. No, he doesn't ask Elisha, if he was really happy doing what he was doing. No, he didn't go down that road at all. He doesn't have to. Because God already told Elisha's days of plowing are over. (laughs) It's coming to an end. Even Elisha didn't have a clue up to that time. And here's the thing, friends. We know that God is always working in our lives behind the scenes. Think about that. How many days, how many weeks, how many years had God been watching Elisha knowing that he was going to be picked for Elijah's successor? It was a long time, and Elisha didn't have a clue. 
It's important that we live our lives faithfully one day at a time, right? Because God is watching. He knows everything we're thinking. He knows everything we're doing. He knows all of our plans. So God invites each of us to escape this cycle of defeat. And listen, we see that Elisha is changing jobs. You know, he's going to go from plowing fields to become the assistant to Elijah, the, the man of God. And you might be here and you know what? God's going to keep you right where you're at. But the difference is you're going to live with greater passion in what you're doing because you're doing it for the Lord. Andy was building a new home. As often happens, especially today, man, his construction crew had an awful time with subcontractors, suppliers, schedules, etc. Nothing was going right. His, his boss was frustrated. The men were grouchy. The weather was hot and humid, just like it's going to be tomorrow. So tomorrow, just think about Andy. He's building a house. And you can identify with him. To add to the misery on that construction site, there was a port john that reeked with, it just smelled bad. We'll, we'll just say that. It just smelled bad. And um, the company that was charged in keeping it smelling, you know, they're supposed to keep it fresh. They weren't showing up. They were missing in action. And suddenly, out of nowhere, this blaring music in a, in a truck rolls down the street and stops in front of the house. And everybody's attention on the construction site turned to the vehicle. And they noticed that the guy that gets getting out of the truck, it's not the same dude that usually showed up at this Portageon. Instead, he was big. He was burly. He had a big smile on his face. He was singing at the top of his lungs. They're thinking, what's wrong with this guy? He greeted the entire crew with his contagious grin. He grabbed the materials from his truck and headed enthusiastically into this smelly disaster, what you would call a port john Just before stepping in, closing the door, he yelled across the yard that the former man had quit and he was taken over. Good things were about to happen. He disappeared into the cubicle Rumbling, man, it was so noisy inside this Porta John. The guys on the construction site stopped working and they were captivated by what is going on inside there. Thinking, man, if I was in there, I would run for my life because the smell was so bad. So, what's keeping them in there? Well, this guy seemed to stay inside. And after a while, the crew, construction crew, noticed, man, something smelled different, it smelled good. And it was an inviting smell. And Mr. Good Nature finally emerged from the Portageon with a smile. He said, hey, the guy taking care of this for you wasn't doing a very good job. From here on out, I guarantee this will be the best it can possibly be because I am here to serve you. That's right. And with that, he hopped in the truck, grinned, waved, turned on his music again, and... Uh, once again, began backing down the driveway. One of the construction crew yelled back at the dude in the truck. He says, man, how can you do that? More important, how did you do that? Mr. Goodnatured replied, oh, it's simple. You see, I work for the Lord. And I do every task as though I were doing it for him. See you next week. 
<laughs> Singing away as he goes, man. Doing it all for the Lord. That's what we're talking about. Whatever you do, you represent Jesus Christ well. No matter what you're doing. And here's the thing. Just like Elijah snuck up behind Elisha when he was plowing, God loves to sneak up on us too, man. Tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, it's time to step it up. Time to do that. And so without any notice, we know Elijah takes his cloak and he throws it on Elisha. And he doesn't stop. He just throws it on him and keeps walking. And that cloak was symbolic of of God is calling. It's a divine calling. God is calling you. It's usually out of wool or an animal's skin. And so Elisha knew, man, when that cloak hit him, something happened. It was like when he had been having his quiet time with God, God had been working in his life, challenging him, saying, Elisha, I'm going to use you. He didn't know when, but when that cloak hit, he said, that's it. That's what God was informing me about for so long. He's been preparing my heart. And so God is calling. Listen, friend, maybe nobody's going to throw a cloak on you, but when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, check this out, Galatians 3.27, you were clothed with Christ. Romans 4 says, God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. What does that mean? That means we have the righteousness of God. When we put our faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven. He puts that robe of righteousness on us. So when God the Father sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Woo! Man! Man! It's better than a cloak. It's the righteousness of Christ. And Elisha realizes, boom, God has been challenging me, and now I know why. And he knew what that meant. Elijah was offering him a job, and he had a decision to make. He had a choice to make, just like you and I have to make a decision and choice every single day if we're going to live for Jesus Christ today or not. If I'm all in with him today or not. One foot in the world, one foot with Christ, that's a decision I've got to make. Well, we're not surprised how Elisha responded. It was decision time for Elisha. Isaiah 48, 17, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. Elisha chose the hard path of life, really, instead of playing it safe. You know, he could have stayed on the farm, had everything easy, easy. But he chose to let it all go. The Colts... Football's coming, by the way. Indianapolis Colts. This came out this past week. 
Corey Willis, 26, retires to pursue the holy call that God has on his life. Somebody dropped a cloak on him this past week. Indianapolis Colts safety, Kari Willis, was going into his fourth season, decided to answer a higher calling. Uh-huh. Willis, 26, announced his retirement on Wednesday, revealing he was going into the ministry. With much prayer and deliberation, I have elected to officially retire from the NFL as I endeavor to devote the remainder of my life. You see, the remainder of my life, not just for five years or ten years. He's saying, I'm going to finish strong, man. To further the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I thank all of my family, my friends, and those who have supported me on this journey thus far, and I look forward to your continued support through the next phase of my life. I am both humbled and excited to pursue the holy call that God has for my life. That's what Elisha was. It's a holy call. Not holy cow, holy call. That God has for my life, which brings me much joy and purpose. Thank you all for your support over the years. And the head coach, Frank Reich, wished him well. You know, Coach Reich is a follower of Christ too, by the way. Kari's character, leadership, and professionalism will be missed in our locker room, he said. And I admire and respect his decision to transition into the next stage of his life in ministry. And my prayers will be with him. You see how that happens? Just doesn't happen in the Bible, man. It's happening to you, to me, to people around us when we say yes. When the cloak is placed on our lives. Number three, saying goodbye. Saying goodbye, verse 20. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah. See, Elijah didn't stop. He just threw his cloak and kept going. (laughs) You say, that's not fair. I need a week to decide. (laughs) Ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye. And then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I've done to you. Notice the immediate response from Elisha. Right? He did, he's on, hit the pause button, you know, he just goes after. He leaves the oxen and runs after Elijah. Why was he running? Because Elijah wasn't planning on sticking around. You see, this is serious, man. You want to follow after Christ? This is serious. People are dying for the cause of Christ around this planet right now. It's serious. Elisha ran because if he didn't, Elijah would have gone over the bridge and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. I mean, he would have lost them. And you listen, good intentions are not good enough. You know, this is where it's so easy. We get caught in the weeds, man. We get caught in the swamp. We have good intentions, but we never take that next step with God. The years start rolling by. We need to make the call. We need to move on. Oswald Chambers, great man of God, put it this way, beware of the danger of spiritual relaxation. Hmm? It's true. 
Spiritual relaxation, dangerous. And Elisha wishes to say farewell to his family and then gladly follow Elijah. What I see here, uh, and for all the teenagers and, uh, in the room, we all need to make things right with our parents. I don't know what kind of dad you had. I don't know what kind of mom you had. But we can always go and say, you know, apologize or try to reconcile. If there is dysfunction, you put boundaries around it, but you do what you can do and you say goodbye. You know, goodbye, I'll see you again. But you, you're protecting yourself. But <clears throat> the point is, there's too many families that have broken relationships. And as a follower of Christ, we need to do what we know is right, honoring to the Lord. And that's what Elisha's doing here. Years ago, a missionary came to a church and um, gave the invitation at the end of his talk for those who wanted to surrender their lives to go on the mission field. An eight-year-old girl from the congregation went to the front and knelt down in the front and after a few minutes, she got up and went back to her seat, and her dad asked her, did, did God call you to be a missionary? She said, no, God didn't call me to be a missionary. And then her dad asked her, well, why did you go up front? She said, I went to put, my, put down my yes on the table. So when God does ask the question, I've already given him my answer. Put your yes on the table, saying yes to God without knowing what the future holds, man. That's faith. This little eight-year-old girl had it together. And so we see, you know, the question is, when was the last time we moved out of our comfort zone? Because we know when we get stretched, that's where spiritual growth takes place. It's like when you use your muscles in your body, man. You work them hard, and you're building that muscle. In our spiritual journey, when we're getting stretched by God, when we're being disciplined by God, it's stretching us. It's building our core, which is healthy for us. And to paraphrase Jesus, Elisha would now be plowing for men. <laughs> That's the deal. All right, number four, burning my options, verse 21a. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Why do people get stuck spiritually? Why do they get stuck in a rut spiritually? Well, Elisha's story kind of gives us a hint for all of us on how we can eliminate that from happening. We need to have an act of arson in our lives. That's what we need. When Elijah said yes to God, he left nothing behind that he could go back to. He destroyed everything. His career, man, he burned it all. He's trusting God. So when Elijah's cloak landed on Elisha's shoulders, Elisha does more than run after Elijah. He makes sure he's got nothing back home to run back to. 
That's the problem with a lot of Christians, man. They keep their closets full. And when things get tough, they go back to the closet and pull it out instead of destroying those things that hold us hostage spiritually. Elisha returned to his oxen, slaughtered them, used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Do you know one of those ox would have fed a family of five for a year and a half? It's a lot of meat. Hmm? A lot of meat? Yeah, man. I think I wish somebody would give me an ox. <laughs> well, it might happen. It might, but it might not. Um, anyway, um, you can't sit on the fence forever, man. And Elisha burned everything from his past. Colossians 3.5, Paul puts it this way. So put to death, and it literally means to annihilate, to kill off the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. He's talking about the closets in our lives. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. They used, you used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now it's time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Verse 10, put on your new nature. That's the the robe of righteousness, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator. And what? Become like him. Yeah, become like him. That's the goal God has for each one of us. That's why Elisha slaughtered the oxen. He was destroying. When things got tough on the road with Elijah, he knew that. We're, we're all tempted to go back to easy street. It's what we knew, we were comfortable with. Elisha was destroying all that. And notice he didn't do it at night when everybody was sleeping. He invited the whole town to come out. Friend, there's something cool here. When we try and keep things undercover and handle it ourselves spiritually, there's something about going public with it where there's accountability. And Elisha purposed to give the meat and burn the plow. So the entire community saw the commitment he was making. It's kind of like when you're baptized in water, man. You're making a public declaration. You're going public. Too many people try to keep things under the table, man. I can handle this. You know, I could do this on my own. You need to go public with it, man. I am committing to following Jesus for the rest of my life. No turning back, no turning back. So what are the plows that God wants you to burn this morning? Addictions, what's, what addiction's holding you back? What, what dependency is holding you back? What's the wrong thinking that's destroying your life? You need to burn it, man. You need to burn it. And so we're grateful for the message that Elisha was sending. He burned the plow of past failure, of bad habit, my old way of life, and you burn it. You know what we need as followers of Christ? We need flamethrowers, man. Right here. We should start a flamethrower club. That's another club we can have here. Right? 
What needs to be burned in our lives? We put it on the table. And with men, we could do that together with, with, with men that you trust, man. You're destroying this vice, this addiction, this, this hook that the enemy has in your life. Keeping you from becoming the man of God that God wants you to be. And I'm going to jump off course here real quick. Romans 8.37. I read this the other day, man, and it just hit me in the face. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. That word victory. That should be in bold, but you can't see it because there's a dark background. Victory. God wants you as a man and a woman to walk in victory, friend. He does. And that's what Elisha was going after. Number five, actions speak louder than words. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Do you realize that Elisha was calling the shots on the farm, and now he's resigning himself to make coffee for Elijah, making copies for him, serving him. For how long? For 18 years. Yeah. How many of you know that 18 years is a long time? Isn't it? Yeah. Research shows ways we communicate with each other. When we have a conversation, we communicate 7% with our words, 35% with our tone of voice, and 58% with our actions. Maybe that's why people say talk is cheap, because if our actions don't follow our words, it's crashing. There's no, there's no power behind it. And listen, our children have hypocrisy detectors built into them by God. And they're watching, friend. They're watching. And they're taking mental notes. And they see when your actions don't line up with your words. It, it just creates a fog in their brain. This does not compute. And that's why actions speak louder than words. And we need as men and women of God, to make our actions follow our words and our words follow our actions. There's consistency there. Elijah had somebody following behind him because Elisha said, I'm going to come after you, man. And he did. He let everything go behind him, and he followed him. And so <clears throat> you might be saying, I'm too old. I'm too young. Man, my parents were creeps. I made too many mistakes. I don't have any experience. God can't use me. We're so good at making excuses. Maybe you need to get the flamethrower out and torch that thing too. Your excuse list. Yeah. It's time. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. Be resolute and love without stopping. As William Borden said, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Man, I want to live my life where at the end of the day, I don't have any regrets. How about you? 
Craig Groeschel, pastors out in Oklahoma, put it this way, gentlemen, God created you with the heart of a warrior. Until there's something you're willing to die for, you can't truly live. You were created to fight for righteousness. Until you tap into that divine cause, you'll be bored, destructive, and frustrated. I honestly believe that I'm on the front lines of the most important war, the one between heaven and hell. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. My sword is drawn and I'm on the front lines. I'm willing to die for the cause to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's not what I do. That's who I am. It starts with my family and it bleeds into everything I do anywhere I am. Your spiritual enemy wants to take you out. He's a master in making strong men weak. Sometimes he does that by making us comfortable, secure, and safe, like Elisha, until Elijah showed up. Resigned to a mediocre life because it's familiar and doesn't require much from us. Is that really how you want to live? Though Satan makes strong men weak, God is in the business of making weak men strong. Yes! Yes! Your past isn't the most important thing. Your future is. Joab said to his men in 2 Samuel 10, 12, Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. Fight for a cause greater than yourself. It's in you. Now is the time to fight like your life depends on it, to get control of whatever has a hook in you. Draw a line in the sand. Make your enemy pay. Make sure he gets the message. Come out fighting. It's time to fight like a man. Now the dude's right there, man. That was shouting material. I could hear him on the TV. Coming through the walls, man. What happened here? You guys sleeping? Let's read that again. Let's, mm -hmm. Draw a line in the sand. You want to get your finger out right now? Make your enemy pay. Make sure he gets the message to come out fighting. It's time to fight like a man. Yo! Yo! Yes! Yes! Come on, man. This is not a wimpy choir here, man. This is a man's choir. Yes! Sorry, Mark. <laughs> Here's the deal. Your victory gives other men hope. It's true. It gives them a vision for what could be. It holds out a hope that they too can escape from their darkness into his Christ life. God isn't finished with you. you. Do you have some strongholds in your life that, you need to, that need to come down? Stop skipping church whenever you feel like it because you stayed up late the night before. Or there's a game on. For whatever other reason you want to make up, stop being a phony. Wholeheartedly commit your life to Christ. Stop just going to church and consuming. Get yourself and your family involved. Make a difference. Serve. Tithe. Give your money. Pray, engage in the life of your church 
Grow spiritually. Study God's word. Learn to be a man of God. Getting into spiritual shape. Stop pretending. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. Do something different. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. Spend time with your kids. Pray with them at night. Now is the time to stop flirting around with God. Stop kicking the spiritual tires and lying to yourself that one day you might really seek him. Today is that day. It's time to call on Jesus. Give him your life. Do it now. Because if you're a Christian, you have resurrection power within you. Don't try just to be a better man. Be God's man. Die to yourself so that you can live for him. And when we place our faith in Christ, we were saved to be like Jesus. I'm going to ask the men to stand right now. Father God, I pray for the men at Life Church this morning. Lord, we have been challenged through the life of Elijah and Elisha. And it's time to stop playing games with you, Lord. We recognize that. These days are not days to get the game table out and put it on the table and just waste our time. We recognize that these are desperate days that the souls of people are at risk. And we need to set the bar higher in our lives. We need to set the example in our home. And with that, Lord, we need your help. And we thank you that that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of every man who has put his trust in you. And today, Lord, as a man, we humble ourselves before you. And we say, we need you, Lord. We need your power, Spirit of God, to live for righteousness, to say no to sin and say yes to being a man of God. Lord, I pray that there will be an invasion in this room this morning where we, Lord, if we have procrastinated, if we've made excuses, that will be the end of that for the rest of our lives as we draw a line in the sand and say, no more, Satan. God is going to help me to become that man of God he's wanted me to be from this day forward until the last breath I take on this planet. Lord, I pray your blessing, your favor to rest on these men. May this be the greatest Father's Day, man's day, in our history, in Jesus' name, amen.